0: Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas with a simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. I'm going to be reading from Psalm 1 today. And so it reads, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Uh, We're in this series called Habits, where we are exploring the different habits that help us become the people that God has intended us to be. The idea of the series came from, honestly, from COVID, when we couldn't meet anymore, we couldn't gather and worship. We began to really question, so what is the whole point of being church? That really led us down this path of when we can't gather in this Sunday morning experience for this hour and a half, what does it mean? Can we still be church And that led us to this realization that for us to be church is ultimately about learning to follow Jesus together. It's about a community of people who are committed to one another and to God to become more and more uh, like Christ. And so we began to look at the different habits that Jesus embodied, knowing that our habits are some of the most powerful forces in our life. We might want to be a certain type of person, but if our habits aren't structured in that way, we won't grow to being that type of person. So we looked at the life of Jesus and we saw that there's eight different habits that we felt invited by God to explore as a community. And they're embodied here in this There's four different habits that we have daily, four different habits that we have on a weekly basis. And to be honest, uh, you could look at that and go, man, that looks like a lot. It looks like you're asking for a lot by, by sharing this. Now, our goal is not to send you out today and go, okay, do all eight of them now. Instead, it's, it's more about which of these practices do you feel like would just better your soul? Which could you explore, maybe by yourself or maybe with a, a community of people? Which of, m- m- might uh, God be inviting you to, uh, to put on And so our goal is by doing this all is that we slowly learn the way of following Jesus and we're able to do so together. And so in this this part of the series, we're preaching through habits one at a a time. Um, And the other reason why we're doing this is this feels like a lot, in part because our lives are already full of so many daily and weekly habits. What we're inviting you to do is not just to add another list of to-dos, a religious list of to-dos on top of everything else, but to consider what are the habits that you're actually living in that's actually pulling you away from being soul-filled, from being purposeful, from being intentional in your life. In many ways, we're talking about Jesus's invitation to take off every yoke that you are already living with that's ill-fitting, that's heavy, and to put on an easy yoke that leads to life. So as we consider the different influences that help form habits, I have been thinking in my own life of what is influencing me? What is directing and patterning my own life? And I think there's no greater influence in the modern life to form and build habits than this little thing right here. This little uh, idea of, oh my gosh, I have a lot of messages. These little... (laughs) This thing right here, this glass and plastic and microchips, I think it is the greatest source of spiritual formation that we have. When we think of spiritual formation, we might think of monks or or some deep spiritual thing, but the reality is, is all of life is spiritual formation, including and especially this thing. So yes, today we're going to talk about our phones. So before I get to this, I just need to be honest that this is not something that I've mastered. I'm not coming from a place of like expertise. I need to begin this message by saying, hi, my name is Mark, and I'm addicted to my phone. Thank you very much, thank you, thank you, thank you. Our lives are obviously supported by this powerful tool. So many incredible, wonderful things come from this. The the endless source of information, our ability to connect with one another, from all over the world to be able to create art and enjoy art all of you know to be able to document every overpriced small plate meal that you purchase when you go out all of this is we're able to do with this little device now that being said our smartphones are powerful tools but oppressive masters we think that our phones are here to serve us but other people have a different agenda <laughs> Our phones are not just some passive object in our life where we get what we want. There is a curtain behind our relationship with our phone. There's a curtain that's hiding a different reality. Scores of people, of technology, and billions and billions of dollars have gone to make sure that this phone is not passive, but is active in influencing our lives our well-being, in our lifestyle. By and large, our phones do not merely work for us, but they are a platform for us, the user, to become a product. Businesses, advertisers, programmers have the goal to possess the new currency. I heard someone recently talk about, what is the new currency in our society? Any guess? Data. Data? Yes. Ourselves. Ourselves? Attention, this, uh, this one author, uh, John Mark Homer, talked about the new currency is attention. Our attention is the new currency, and for me this is why this phone is such a huge influence on spiritual formation, because we know that whatever we give our attention to, whatever we set our gaze upon, has the power to form us and transform us. It begins with us giving our attention, But then after we give our attention, then everything else follows. Our money, our loyalty, our sense of identity, ultimately follows whatever we give our attention to. And if our attention is the currency of our day and age, we need to consider how habituated we are to give this thing our attention. Are you guys ready for some stats? Okay, great, they're very incriminating, so buckle up. Uh, The average user of of a smartphone spends two hours and 50 minutes on their phone every single day. Now, what we probably can guess is that number is much higher for younger people who are what people call digital native. They've never experienced another reality without living with their phone. Some studies have found the average for millennials and younger are as high as 7 hours and 22 minutes a day, giving their attention to their phone. What do you think is, I know for me personally, when I text a guy and he doesn't respond for a day, I'm like, ah, that's a real man right there. He's not like married to his phone. He's like out doing stuff, chopping things or something. Uh, so I personally would think that like, oh, like a, a healthy person might spend an hour or less on their phone, right? Right? That's what, like I would think. So 5% of people say that they spend less than an hour a day on their smartphones iPhone users say that uh, the stats share that they unlock their phones on average of 80 times a day. That's once every 10 minutes, going back, returning to it. I'm not sure if you guys saw this Wall Street Journal um, article that came out just a couple weeks ago that it released internal documents from Facebook and Instagram saying that they, their own studies have concluded that one-third of teenage uh, teenagers trace negative body issues back to their Instagram use. One out of three feel negative about their body and the source of that is what they see on their phones. It's no surprise that social media usage correlates perfectly with depression and the likelihood of self-harm. So iPhone users, did you know that you can look at your own data? We're not gonna show anything up here, but you can look at your own data and see what your daily average is or how many times you unlock your phone per day. As I shared that with one person, they said, I don't wanna know, like I'm not gonna look, I'd rather not, but I'm just gonna tell you and myself uh, that ignorance is not bliss on this conversation. In the research that I've done, as, my, as a new armchair expert on this, as a research I've done, I was not surprised to find that nobody is saying that our, stre- our screens are strengthening our mental health, our self-worth, our confidence. No one is saying that this is helpful for our body image or our relationships, nor public discourse, if that's not obvious. All of the data saying it's actually going the other direction. There's a negative effect on all of those topics. If you saw someone sipping a flask of Jack Daniels throughout the day, you would probably stop at some point and go, we need to have a conversation. We need to have a little bit of intervention. Yet, some people would say every 10 minutes going back to your phone is just as dangerous and and unhealthy for us. But the reality is we have just grown used to it. As Paul Paul would write in Romans, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, we've just conformed to the pattern of this world and it's not good for us. I even thought recently... If an alien were to look at modern living here in America in this day and age, they would think that this thing is essential to being human. Like, it's like an appendage. The most pressing question for us in the midst of all, we're all done with that now, so let's all take a breath. Okay, he's done with that. The most pressing question for us then should be, how does being an apprentice to Jesus uh, interact with this relationship, to these habits? How does being an apprentice, a follower of Jesus, instruct us how to live in this day and age? Does anyone have any difficulty imagining if Jesus were here and just endlessly scrolling on his phone, spending three hours to seven hours a day and just giving the gaze to the screen? Does anyone else have a problem imagining that? like with his ultimate goal of being an influencer. <laughs> Jesus was present with people. He was attentive. He was really comfortable with being in silence and being alone. Jesus lived at an unhurried, frantic pace. So I think in many ways Jesus might come to us in this habituated culture that we have with our phones and say, Enter in through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and a few find it. There is a narrow gate that Jesus wants us to pass through, a narrow road leading to grace and significance and deep relationship and beauty and attentiveness and presence and I'm afraid few find it so for our community we're going to begin by just considering uh, one habit one practice when it comes to our phone and it is this narrow gate with how we can start our day it is discovered in the habit of scripture before screens and that with the answering start our day? How do we seek to begin our days? To begin this habit, we need to unwind some strong habits that we already have with our phones. I think we're done with some stats, but can I just share a couple more with how we begin our days? Okay. All right. So this is about how we begin our days with our phones. Around 80% of smartphone users check their 15 minutes of waking up every morning. So within 15 minutes, you're on your phone. 80%. Okay. of Americans admitting to checking their smartphones before they get out of bed, okay? So less than half are on their phones before they get out of bed. This is not incriminating. This is not guilt-inducing. It's okay. This is a safe place. That number is much higher for millennials, 18 to 24-year-olds, clocking in at 66% before their feet are hitting the floor. They're on their phones. Now, if we were to step back from this habit, we would all say probably not the most ideal way of beginning your day, right? Like it just sort of begins by saying, I'm not sure if beginning our day's attention to other people's agenda is the best idea. That, won't it just welcome anxiety and stress? I don't think, if, just take this as an idea. Imagine the, the practice of waking up and before getting out of bed saying, okay, bring in the 100 people, and 100 people file into your bedroom still in jammies or whatever, and go, okay, uh, um, Aunt Kimberly, let me hear your latest political rant. <laughs> okay, very good, very good. You, what do you want to do? You, oh, you want to s- sell me a stand-up paddleboard. You've been listening to me, very good. Uh, Governor Abbott, President Biden, come on in. What's the latest, you know, after that? Does anyone have a good cat video, you know? like. That it's like it'd be insane to do that, but that is typically how many of us, most of us, begin our days. Responding to the agenda, the, the 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 agenda of all these different people vying for our attention. And that is how we set the tone of our day, set the rhythm. Oh, okay, this is my boss's email, okay, I'm already behind. There's like probably no worse way to begin a day than doing that, but that's typically what we do. How different would our days be if instead we began it by looking at God's word? Again, if spiritual formation is found by what we give our attention to or set our gaze upon, how different would our days be if we set the rhythm and the compass based on scripture? It's not as flashy or clickbaity as what we find on our screens. But the sacred text has been with humanity for thousands of years, teaching us how to live well and experience beauty and to know God. Though many of us, we come to Scripture with a bunch of different history, and to be honest, a lot of us come with different baggage, we ultimately believe the Bible because we are followers of Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus rooted much of his life in his ministry from Scripture. If you read the Gospels, it's really clear that Jesus studied and memorized Scripture. He used it in his teachings when he felt personally attacked. If you remember, like, in the desert, when he felt personally attacked, what did he rely upon? He relied upon Scripture to combat the voice of the enemy coming against him. Jesus embodied this deep relationship with, with, with Scripture, And if it was central to Jesus' lives, then for us, as Jesus' apprentices, it shouldn't it be for us. The author of uh, uh, The Common Rule, which is in many ways where we got a lot of these concepts from with that kind of graph idea, um, The Common Rule, it was written by a guy named Justin Early. He shared how this practice of going to scripture before screen ultimately is about posing what question is driving our day. I love that. So when we, how we begin our day, it's, it's, we, whatever our practice it is, we can look at what is the question that's driving us in that day. So as we go to our phones, we often are asking the question, what is going on in the world? Or what do I have to do today? Or what did I miss? But when we come to scripture, we come with such a better question. Who do I want to become today? Like, who am I as a person? Who would I want to become today? When we set aside our screens and we come to Scripture in that posture of humility, we were reminded of who we can become. Author Edward Farrell, he said this, Scripture is more than a word about God. Every word of Scripture is always consecrating, purifying, always releasing immense energy. It's not simply revealing God to his people, but revealing to us who we are in God, and who we are to become. There is power in God's word. This idea of every word of scripture is releasing immense energy. There's power in God's word. But where does this power derive itself? As Paul wrote to his own apprentice, Timothy, he said this in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That idea of God breathed in scripture is this beautiful concept of what God does through his breath is give life. If you find in Genesis 2 the way in which God created humanity is that he breathed, God breathed life into humanity. Or even after Jesus was crucified and he was, came back from the death, and he, and he was with his followers in this upper room and they were terrified. They were stalled out in fear. And Jesus breathed on them and said, receive my peace. That idea of receiving the breath of God is receiving that which can make us alive again. And what Paul is saying here is that scripture has the breath of God. It has the breath of God. So my hope, my hope and my love of scripture is not just this incredible recording that's been preserved throughout all time, but it's that God's breath is there. It is still active and alive, revealing who we can become, making us alive in hope when we feel imprisoned by fear, when we get stalled out out with anxiety. God's breath is still there, wanting to meet us, wanting to shape us, wanting us to become who we were created to be. So therefore, we do not come to Scripture like we would any old textbook. All right, finding out what are the quotes that I can have, the Scripture quotes, to get after that person, to defend that thing. No, we come to Scripture for formation and not just information. That's why this, our relationship with the Bible is different than any other thing that we come to and we can read, is because it is the power to form us. Not only that, but God continues to meet with us in Scripture for a specific purpose, in verse 17. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Don't you wanna be equipped for life? Don't you wanna have a deep equipping that waking up in the morning and looking at the newsfeed of the day that doesn't seem to really meet? Well, the reality is that God is breathing in God's word so that you could be equipped for whatever God has for you in that day. You can't do it alone. It was never God's intention. So therefore, we have this gift, this complicated gift of God's word. This is a part of experiencing what the psalmist in Psalm 1 said. This is a part of experiencing the blessed life. In Psalm 1, we heard Ivor read, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on it day and night. It seems as if the psalmist is saying there's two different paths. There's the blessed one, and the one that does not end in blessing. And what is the one that uh, is blessed? It's the one that's deeply rooted in Scripture. And the other path that leads to destruction, what's when we set our gaze and our attention on the wrong thing. First, it's walking with the wicked and then standing in the way of the sinner and sitting in the place of mockers. Do y'all notice the movement in that? It begins with this walking and then standing and then you finally just sit down. If there's a place of, like, for me, of mockery or wicked, envy and strife and contention, isn't this one of the greatest sources of that in our life right now? And yet, we find in this progression, this leads to destruction. It's by giving our attention and our relationality with that which can't bear the weight of our soul, and that doesn't lead us to a blessed life. Yet, the one who delights and meditates on God's word, the psalmist said, will experience blessing. That word's kind of lost on us, because we live in the South, and we use the word blessings for everything, right? Like parking spot. Or we use like a backhanded compliment when, oh, bless their heart, which is really like they're so screwed up. But we're in the South and we can't say that, right? So, what in the world is blessing truly about? The Jewish understanding of blessing is when you are connected to the way that life was intended. When you're living in this flow of, oh, this is what it was meant to be, there's blessing in that. When you are experiencing the delight and joy of being where you are called to be, there's blessing that. When you can almost hear God's voice saying, This is how it was meant to be, this is how I created it. And where is the blessing for us? Is when we know and meditate on God's word, it is like a lamp to our feet showing you this is where the blessed life is. This is where you will flourish. This is where you become fully alive. I'm a sucker for this quote. St. Arrhenius, he said, you know, so so many years ago, he's an early church father, he said, the glory of God is a person fully alive. God gets glory when we are people fully alive. Our souls are open and full to this world and we're experiencing life as it was created to be. And friends, this is where scripture is pointing us to. In setting our our gaze upon our phones and our screens, I don't know if they will point us to the blessed life. Because this is what happens when we have this habit of meditating on God's word. We find it in verse three of Psalm one. So what happens when we experience the blessed life? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prosper. Don't you love that picture of a tree next to streams, next to a river, that's like deeply rooted, that's really fruitful, that's healthy and flourishing. This is a life that is planted in God's word. Their souls are provided for. When there is a drought, it's okay. They're not going to to suffer. They have this deep well of provision there is a blessing in God's word. In his book, A Hidden Wholeness, Parker Palmer, he relates a story that I've been thinking about when it comes to our relationship to scripture. He shares a story in that book about farmers in the Midwest where he was from. Anyone grew up in the Midwest? Cool, they didn't make it here. Anyone grew up in California? Yeah, yeah okay, I thought there'd be a little bit more people from California here than the Midwest. Okay, so people in the Midwest, uh, especially farmers, they would experience, have this experience where blizzards would come on quickly and strongly. And so oftentimes, uh, they would be caught out in a blizzard and they weren't at home. And so oftentimes in the Midwest, they would actually tie a rope to the back door of their home and run it all the way to the barn just in case because a tragic, uh, a tragic thing that would sometimes happen is that farmers would go out to the barn and blizzard would hit and they couldn't make it home, they would find themselves wandering because they couldn't see even to their own fingertips. And so they would circle and circle and die oftentimes even in their own backyard. But they had this practice that they would tie a rope onto the back of the, of the house to go towards the barn so that if that ever happened, the farmers could slowly and carefully know what is the path home? How can I make it back into my refuge without becoming blinded, disoriented, without wandering. Friends, God has given us the gift of his word so that we can find our way home. When life gets chaotic, when we get distracted, when we lose our way, that we can depend on scripture. Despite its cultural differences, despite this was written thousands of years ago in different ethnicities and languages, scripture has helped humanity step by step, make our way back to God and back to ourselves for generation to generation. That is the beauty of God's word. So as a community, our invitation for you is to join us in this experiment, the spiritual habit of screens. I'm sorry, scripture before screens. Yeah, it's too embedded. It's too embedded. Now, so as a church, we have written tools for you. For many of you, a barrier is I don't know what it means to get into scripture, to read scripture. We have written tools for you to be able to unpack and explore scripture. You can find it on our church's website at the practice uh, part of our website. And we acknowledge also this is not a one size fit all. We're not gonna dictate what that looks like for you, but our invitation for you is to explore it. And don't do it alone. This is why we have these practice groups. And so perhaps maybe you and your practice group, you guys wanna spend a season where you go to scripture before screen. And I feel like I need to have this little disclaimer. This is not legalism. It's not like you love God less if you don't do it. And it's not like you love God less if you read scripture in the afternoon or evening or whatever else. There are times in my life where the way I I go to scripture is using my phone. There's incredible apps out there that I have used in different seasons of my life. This is not about legalism. This is about what's life-giving. What what can we root our days in? And And our invitation is to root your day in God's word. And I promise... As we unhinge ourselves from the practices of our day and age and we begin this practice of going to scripture before screen, if we ask the right question, who am I and who I am becoming, what you will find in scripture, in a hundred different voices, reaching from generation to generation, in prose and in poetry and in wisdom, and especially in the words of Jesus, You will hear the same thing. Who am I? You are God's beloved. More than anything else in this world, you are God's beloved. And who are you becoming? Well, as you root yourself in Scripture, as you, by morning, by morning, find yourself setting your gaze upon this this living word, what you will find is who you are becoming is more and more like your Savior. May we learn the blessing of going to Scripture before screen.